Welcome back to the Bazgrim TV audio archive. If you don't know who I am, my name is Bazgrim, and I have a YouTube channel which focuses on the social aspects of MMORPGs, and specifically I'm taking a close look at Pantheon Rise of the Fallen, which is an upcoming MMO that places a heavy emphasis on community and cooperation. And to be clear right off the bat, I am not affiliated with the developers in any way. I am just a longtime fan of the game. And I believe that Pantheon, because of the way it's designed, is an important part of restoring the original interactive nature of the genre. So I'm excited to tell you everything I've learned from my years of following its development. So. This podcast is where I go way back in my YouTube catalog to revisit some of my best videos in audio form only. That way, you can listen to them anywhere you go. In this episode, we go all the way back to PAX East 2018, where I had the unique privilege of doing an in-person interview with Pantheon's creative director, Chris Perkins. This was essentially the start of my journey of seriously making YouTube videos about Pantheon. And first of all, I would like to apologize in advance for the subpar audio in this clip because, well, it was a very busy convention center and we had to make do with some Bluetooth microphones. But anyway, this was a time in Pantheon's history when the community knew very little about the playable classes. There was a brief description about each on the Pantheon website, but that following summer 2018 would be when they would reveal the more detailed descriptions for each of the classes, like what you see on their website today. So to kick that off, I asked Chris some key questions from the community about what each of the classes will be like. You're listening to the Bazgrim TV Audio Archive. I kind of stepped away from the chaos of the convention for a little bit to just sit down and talk about Pantheon with none other than Chris Perkins of Visioning Realm. So Chris, thank you so much for sitting down with me for a little bit. That's my pleasure. Yeah, it's exciting. So uh, how's the convention going for you so far? It's going really well. We have, uh, we've seen a lot of traffic. There's been a lot of really good interest in the game, both from fans that we expected, and then lots of new people that just are walking by, seeing visuals, seeing the game on the monitors, and really drawn in. It's been really ah, awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. So most people probably know you as Joppa in the community. So uh, if you could, though, just give us a brief overview of what your role actually is at Visionary Realms. <laughs> okay. Um, so I started as the music composer and uh, kind of slowly worked into the position that I'm in now, which is creative director, lead game designer, and audio director. Awesome. So, um, my my primary roles are um, as creative director to oversee the uh, the gameplay, the art, the writing, um, the audio, all of the creative side of things that go into the game. Um, but unlike traditional creative directors, I'm also very hands-on. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of world building that I do. Like the Amber Fate Zone is one of the ones that I mm-hmm. built. Um, there's a lot of actual data input that I do uh, with itemization for the different zones um, and class design is one of my big kind of primary focuses so both the cons- the conceptualization of the classes and then creating the abilities and data and things like that and that's that a perfect well. segue into what I wanted to talk about today yeah um, so you're a man of many hats but today I wanted to 
kind of start peeling back the layers a little bit on some of the classes, especially the ones that we don't really know anything about, just yeah. to kind of get a brief overview of why they're in the game, you know? So I guess that would start with, um, we know that the Quaternity is in effect in Pantheon rather than the Trinity. So if you could just tell us which classes typically fit in each one of those roles. Yeah, uh, okay, so we have the, uh, the tank archetype, which would include the warrior, the paladin, and the dire lord. We have the healers, which would be the cleric, the druid, and the shaman. We have the DPS, which would be the, the caster DPS would be the wizard and the summoner. And then melee DPS would be the rogue, the monk, and the ranger. And then we have the crowd control uh, archetype, which would be filled by the enchanter. And um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's interesting, though, that the enchanter is the only crowd control class in the game, right? Because every other role, there's three or four classes in each, but the enchanter is, if somebody needs crowd control, they need to go to an enchanter. Yeah, well, and so I'll go ahead and say that uh, there is another class that would fill that role, and that would be the bard. Mm -hmm. And um, just to kind of make uh, make the soft announcement, it is um, something that I feel confident, uh, from my perspective, that we will be able to have the bard in by launch. So... There you go. Yeah. Interesting. I'm sure there's lots of people that are excited to hear that. I hope so. I think I heard <laughs> a faint shout of joy somewhere. <laughs> so on the uh, class descriptions on the website, I see this term used in each one of them called an iconic ability. Um, so what is an iconic ability? Yeah. That's Okay. So uh, we decided to set up the class reveals that way. Um, Number one, to highlight the fact that we were committed to class interdependence, and so the classes are going to have a very strong identity in the game. And part of that is having abilities that are very um, iconic. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not to be confused with epic abilities, which would be these you know, very powerful um, abilities that are, are difficult to, to gain. And um, these are abilities that could be fairly mundane, fairly common, um, but just have a lot of flavor that is unique to that class. So hmm. Feign Death, for example, is the monk iconic ability, and it doesn't mean that Feign Death some crazy difficult to obtain ability that's has all these, you know, powerful effects to it. It's 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 a bread and butter ability of the monk, but it, it absolutely defines the monk in a very unique iconic way. Gotcha. So that's what we mean by that. Well so if if the monk's iconic ability is feign death, though, does that mean that the monk will be the only class that has that ability? It doesn't mean that they'll be the only class that has that ability. It means that uh, that that ability is for the monk um, one of their main kind of identifiers in their tool set for what makes a monk a monk. Um, it also means that if there are other abilities that are similar to feign death, it will be to a lesser extent. They won't be quite as as full or as powerful as feign death is for the monk. Gotcha. So while we're talking about feign death, I think a lot of people are concerned about feign death being used as kind of like a get out of jail free card so to speak that you can just go around and grief other people without consequence so i'm i'm sure you i'm sure you're aware of that what what are your thoughts on steps that you could take to prevent that yeah it's a good question um when you make an open world game you you do that with eyes wide open you know knowing that there are benefits and there are uh complications that can come with that and part of that is um, players who want to engage in activities that 
we would call griefing or you know causing harassing or causing uh, you know problems for other players. So feign death is one of those abilities that when it was originally conceived way back in the day, there was no way to account for all the different ways it could be used. Right. It's, it's one of those abilities that's uh, really cool and allows for a lot of emergent gameplay, but it comes with a lot of um, potential complications as well. So we're, we're definitely aware of that. Um, uh, one of the main tenets of our game is challenge. And so in the content that we design, um, we want to make sure to not trivialize that aspect of our content. So we have a few ideas with Feign Death to not rob it of its role and its uh, potency, um, but to not allow it to trivialize and circumvent the challenge and the tension and when it comes to like PVE content. Um, so I'm not gonna go into what those ideas are just yet, but we, we are keeping an eye on that. Um, when it comes to the, the social aspect where players would use feign death to grief other players or to you know wipe that group so they can get to the content instead um, that will very very quickly become a CS issue uh, mm -hmm. any kind of behavior like that in the game um, is something that we will be keeping an eye on and and won't tolerate um, but the other the other side of it is again one of the positives of having an open world game is you have communities that truly do uh, allow for players to develop their own reputation good or bad and a player who is engaging those kind of activities um, has to live with the, con the consequences. Excuse me, the consequences that they're going to um, alienate uh, yeah. the player base. Yeah. And I think I, I'm, I'm expecting to see a lot of um, self—not self-policing might not be the right word—but uh, players will have to to kind of eat eat the consequences of their actions in that way. Sure. So. <coughs> You mentioned epic abilities, and I want to go back to that for a second, sure. because um, I know you mentioned it briefly also back in a stream way back in like 2016, but what what is an epic ability and like how are they acquired? Cool. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reminded of the scene at the very end of, uh, what was the, not the most recent Star Wars movie that came out, but the one before that, like not the... The Force Awakens? I think it was The Force Awakens. The one that ends with... Her finding Luke Skywalker, like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I'm reminded of that scene where, in Terminus, exist these certain masters, if you will, of mm. um, you know class-based masters of their order or their line, and they hold uh, very powerful um, information about certain abilities and skills. I would include skills in that that are. Uh, only achievable by finding these certain masters and convincing them to to teach you what they know. Um, so when we think of epic abilities, we're thinking of abilities that are very powerful, thus the epic nature, um, and very hard to obtain because it's it's not only a, about finding this person, but it's about similar to you think of like epic weapons and the epic quests that go along with them. Um, it's about convincing this person through whatever hoops they think you need to jump through mm -hmm. to convince them that you're worthy to, to learn this. Um, so that's what we mean by epic abilities. Very powerful, rare in that it's going to take... Um, it's not only at the highest tier level that you would find epic abilities. Uh, you know, oh, okay. Let's say there's five epic abilities for each class. Totally pulling that number out of my head right now. But um, let's say there's a finite number. Uh, some of them may be obtainable at lower levels. But okay. it's it's they're all going to be things that are are difficult for you to achieve. Certainly by yourself, you're going to mm. need help. 
um, and things that you really have to invest time in to, to gain. But we're really excited about it because it gives us some really cool opportunities for abilities and skills to yeah. uh, make some really, really unique, powerful, flavorful stuff. Yeah, that definitely that definitely sounds really exciting. Yeah. So let's talk about the um, healing archetype for a little bit um, because the question is how are each classes within an archetype or the, the healer for example how are they going to be balanced in such a way where they can each individually um, fulfill their role but in a way that is unique you know what I mean it feels different so for example a cleric from my understanding they have just straight high healing numbers while the shaman probably uses more debuffs and stuff like that to decrease the, the incoming damage and that's how they keep their um, party alive but then w how like would the druid have their own unique way of keeping the party alive on their own yeah yeah so it's important that uh, each of the healers so just to say general in general we, we want each of the healers to be able to to do the job you mm -hmm. know if you whether you have a cleric or a shaman or a druid um, in a group situation, all three of them, um, the goal would be that they would be able to adequately heal that group. Um, but they're going to do it in very different ways, and they're going to have different fortes. That's kind of how I tend to think of it. So mm -hmm. the cleric, the cleric's forte would be a, uh, a single target healing prowess. Um, highest, uh, you know, when you talk about numbers, yes, they have the highest number um, the highest healing throughput when it comes to single target healing. Okay. Um, so they're going to be really, really strong at keeping that tank alive and, you know, just really able to keep them up through massive waves of damage to a single target. And then they're going to have, you know, other things to round out their healing kit, like some moderate heal over time, some moderate absorb, but the, the forte is going to be in that single target. Okay. And then their defensive, you know, buffs and things like that. Um, the, uh, so then the shaman then, their forte is, as I've said, they're, they're masters of overtime. And so um, instead of having that massive single target healing, they have the ability to pepper lots of targets with these really potent heal over time spells. Um, and they then, you know, in that sense, have an easier time than the cleric, keeping the group as a whole kind of, you know, able to address different healing needs mm -hmm. in the group. Um, but they but but they are offset then by not having a strong single target right. healing, and then further offset through their utility with slows and things like that. Um, the druid uh, is is interesting. Um, druid has been I told uh, a few of the the guys on the team not too long ago that the druid has been a challenge for me because in that role of you know wanting to make them unique and and different in their fortes and in the way they heal. Um, it's it's been an interesting challenge finding their spot. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail right now. Uh, we are going to be prioritizing the class reveals once we get back home from PAX. But um, the the simple way to to describe the Druid's healing arsenal would be indirect. Hmm. They're an indirect healer, um, and I kind of I'm I'm kind of okay with letting your imaginations run with that a little bit. Yeah, what I that can. Could mean. I can think of some interesting ways and in that that could be applied. Okay, that's cool. Um, will all healers be able to resurrect, though? That's the plan, yes. Uh, there will be different positives and different negatives um, in terms of 
how how potent and helpful their resurrection spell is, and maybe what you know negatives or penalties it leaves you with. But they sh they plan is that they would all be able to resurrect you, yeah. but in their own unique in their own way. unique way. Okay, cool. So for shamans, one of the I think one of the most defining abilities, or you could even say an iconic ability for the shaman in EverQuest was cannibalize you know they were kind of this like witch doctor type um support class do you think that shamans in pantheon are similar similar that way like will they have an ability like cannibalize maybe maybe okay we'll take that maybe <laughs> do you do you agree though that um you know the the shaman in pantheon is maybe not as primal you know where like what's What's their identity? Yeah, so the, the shaman and pantheon are, are uh, very ancestral. Um, okay. And in, in kind of a meta metaphysical sense. So uh, I think the description on the side is that shaman walk through or in every age at once. And the idea there is the shaman's ability to buff and debuff and, and do the things they do is that they can look at, a, at an entity and they can see in a moment the entire lineage of that entity all the way back and then are able to draw out weak traits debilitating traits unfavorable traits throughout that line hmm. into the present or they're able to draw out beneficial strong traits throughout hmm. that line into the present um, so not quite as uh, like animalistic or primal you said or you know tribal, tribal yeah. as as what we may think of as the EQ shaman not totally removed from that but just a little more uh, mystically aligned with the the lineage and the ancestry of things. It's familiar but different, is what you would yeah. say. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, I like that. That's a cool concept. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the tank role for a little bit now. Um, this is actually <laughs> this is kind of a uh, a debate that was the forums really actually when I started off. It's a big debate about whether warriors should be able to dual wield shields. Have you given <laughs> any sort of thought to anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always, the moment I became aware of that that thought, um, that was always really interesting to me, and uh, uh, I hope that it's not too disappointing to anybody, but that, that is not in the cards right now. Okay. Well, at least you were able to settle it for us. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Sorry to anyone that that disappoints. I guess the opposite of that would be, is there going to be a class that favors two-handed weapons, like some sort of berserker-type class? Uh, so what I can say now is um, I know there's not hardly any di information about the Dire Lord right now, mm -hmm. uh, but the Dire Lord class um, will will be required to use edged weaponry because uh, one of the the basic premises of the Dire Lord is that they are trying to cause as much blood as possible to be let from their enemies. So mm -hmm. bloodletting is a big part of how they do what they do and so they they use edged weaponry um, exclusively to maximize that now that could be done either through dual wielding um, or it could be done through you know a two-handed sword and I'm mm -hmm. uh, th there's going to be bonuses different types of bonuses depending on which one you use so I could definitely see situations where certain dire lords would prefer to use the two-handed weaponry because of the different positives, different advantages that that would give them. Even while tanking? Even while tanking. Interesting. Absolutely. Okay. And 
do the, is there any sort of magic involved though in that sort of bloodletting, like to manipulate the blood, or is yes, it just, okay, it, it's 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 a I guess you could simplify it to say the the process would be getting the blood out. Mm -hmm. Not that they have to have it out to do everything they do. They can manipulate blood from while it's still internal as well, but getting the blood out is what allows them then in that kind of mystical sense to manipulate it, move it, change its properties, draw things from it, inject things into it, things like that. Interesting. Okay. I know there's a lot of people that'll be excited about that. That's a nice little teaser there. Yeah. Um, so I guess conversely, the paladin. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. This is kind of a, a, a class that's typically a hybrid, but they kind of get the shaft in some games if they can't tank as well as a warrior and also can't heal as well as a cleric. So what can you say to the paladin fans about what they're going to be able to bring to the table? Yeah. Well, in general, I'd say just like with the healers, it's going to be important that each of the tanks are able to do that role effectively. Um, so I, I don't want paladins or dire lords to be concerned that we're going to end up in a situation where it's it's only warriors. You know that you when you need a serious tank, when you need someone to really be able to soak up the damage, you bring a warrior. If you don't have anything else, then you'll take one of the two. That's not that's not how it's going to be. Um, all three tanks will be able to do their their role effectively, but again, they're going to have different fortes. They're going to have different ways of doing that, and they're going to bring different advantages to the group through their utility. Um, the Paladin I'm excited about because, um, you know, d just concept-wise, the Paladin, the pa Paladins were once clerics, um, hmm. and so they have access and they and they've kind of grown up and cut their teeth on this cleric order of um, the restorative arts of the cleric. But the difference in the Paladin is, um, if you're familiar with the lore of our game at all, you know that. The, uh, during the Deicide War, the, the Revenant army was created by the Ravaging Lord, and the Revenant army, army wreaked havoc. And they are still present. They're, they still exist in the world. Um, and they kind of, you know, you have your basic undead, uh, just kind of your traditional undead you think of, skeletons and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But the Revenant are actually a very significant uh, player in the world as far as an undead presence and the paladin the, the idea with the paladin is they have experienced something heartbreakingly soul-wrenchingly tragic at the hands of the revenant mm -hmm. and it has caused them to um not forsake the cleric way but to kind of lay down the tome to take up the sword in this kind of crusader-like avenger mm -hmm. role and so it's it's a little bit of a it's not your cl classic like um, righteous you know uh, do goodly paladin. It's more of a so there's a little bit of a, a vengeance story here, and mm. that the paladin is on a righteous mission to exterminate this this presence. And so one of the cool things with the paladin is we we really want to highlight their uh, their versus undead uh, prowess, and that mm. they they will be devastating when it comes to conflict with undead. Um, so that's going to add a little bit of an interesting layer when it comes to tanking when you have an, a paladin tank in an undead area. I, there, there's more detail to go into in terms of how you balance that because you can't have 
a paladin who is obviously a, a very adept tank with restorative abilities yeah. now able to do devastating dps towards undead yeah why wouldn't you just always want a paladin tank in right. an undead area obviously we're going to take steps to balance that when they go into whatever state they're in when it comes to being versus undead um there's going to be offsets when it comes to you know some of their tanking arsenal or restorative ability or whatever it is because they're so focused on dealing with this undead issue so um there's a few other little cool things about the paladin uh that i'll save till later but um i think they're going to have a really really cool role and I think more than ever before, we're going to try and capitalize on some of these iconic things you think of when you think of the Paladin, like their Verse Undead Prowess, their restorative contributions, things like that. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds really cool. So I, I hear a lot of people that um, compare the Summoner. Like They just assume that the Summoner is going to be kind of similar to what the Magician was in EverQuest. Do you think that's a fair assumption? Like How similar are they actually? I think it's fair. Um, I'll say, I mean, I, I love the magician, magician in EQ. I, I played it quite a bit. Um, one of the things that always kind of felt lacking to me, though, was their their actual summoning arsenal because mm. you had, you know, obviously the pets is kind of the main thing, and then you had a lot of out of combat things like summoning food and drink and summoning, you know, no rent weapons and some bags mm -hmm. and mod rods, um, but to me, it seemed like there was so much more potential in like more of the in combat summoning utility, mm. or kind of the you know literally that idea of reaching your hand into this dimensional pocket and pulling out something at a moment's notice mm. to react to things that are happening. So I'd like my, my goal is to build that into the summoner where you're you're really seeing them kind of capitalize on the summoning ability in more of a real time. Um, even reactionary kind of kind of way to things. Um, I'm I'm going to save this for more of the reveal, but uh, and so well, and I'll say too. I mean, yeah, their their pets are going to be really awesome, um, really cool, and so that that whole dynamic, I want to make sure we we keep um, mm -hmm. and and really capture that feeling again, where the the summoner pets are going to be known as very awesome. Um, but then go into more detail later of kind of some of the ideas of how they'll be in combat using their their summoning ability to react to certain situations and to deal lots of damage yeah so but more than just pets <laughs> exactly cool so how would the wizard then be different from a summoner well the the exchange there i think has traditionally been the wizards don't have pets, and so their mm. their damage dealing is really in the form of raw, just devastation when it comes to what they can unleash through their spells. Um, and in that sense, we're not changing the wizard a whole lot. In that we want we want the wizard to be able to deal just unbelievable raw amount of damage through their their spells. What we are doing with the wizard is we're trying to give them I, I want them to have more control over how they deal damage and when they deal damage. And okay. I want them to be able to feel more meaningful, meaningfully engaged from fight to fight. Um, I don't want to see wizards standing up, you know, blowing a third of the mob's health off, health off and then sitting down for the rest of the fight to get right. back. Um, I want them more actively engaged and able to manage their mana both in the expenditure of it 
and in the regeneration of it mm. so that they can plan for burn times where they're wanting to just unleash um, but then also able to still contribute damage while they're recuperating mana. Um, I know we've got some of that system in place in pre-alpha, so some of the pre-alpha testers have been able to experience what that's like, and the feedback's been really good um, because it, the, the wizard class feels much more active, much more involved m more often than I think traditionally has been the case. So uh, that's how I would differentiate those two classes, though, is that the wizard is really bringing that, that raw damage and able to control when and how they wield that much more so than traditionally was the case. That's cool, but they're not going to just sit back and spam nukes the whole fight, right? No, they're, they're going to have a lot more mobility maybe than hmm. uh, players are used to, which is something I'm really excited about for them. Um, and that mobility as well will even play into how they deal damage uh, in the form maybe of momentum. Um, hmm. If they really get behind one of those fireballs, then... Uh, some more damage cool all right well how about how about binding like is this something that only the casters will be able to do to bind a soul and like would they be able to bind anywhere in the world that they want it's a good question um i don't have a very satisfying answer for that yet because okay. I'm, I'm intentionally waiting until we get a few more things nailed down, a few more ideas. Um, some of it has to do with, may not see a direct connection, but some of it has to do with how we're going to handle player-based teleportation, um, meaning our certain class is going to have the ability to transport themselves and others mm. to different locations, and how exactly is that going to work? Um, it's not. I mean, we have some pretty set ideas, but want to make sure that we're seeing the whole canvas when it comes to travel, when it comes to relocation, and then when it comes to binding, what I can say about binding is that um, in the streams, I know a lot of players have expressed concern about you know us respawning at the start of the zone, yeah. and that's purely for, for testing purposes. Um, there will be a place where you respawn. It will be at first your starting city where you zone into the game for the first time is where you will respawn. So then the question is, well, how do you change that is it going to be through NPCs? Is it going to be through players? Um, yeah, generally right now the plan is that we would have something similar to what we've seen before in the bind system. Um, but there are still a few things we're trying to nail down and decide. Sure. So, um, traps <laughs> in dungeons or really anywhere. Um, will... First of all, will there be traps? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Good. Um, and is this the sort of thing that like a rogue might be able to, if they disable a trap, take parts from it and then maybe build their own traps? Mm. That's a good question. Um, yes, rogues will be able to dismantle traps. Um, there's all trap. Not all traps are the same though. So you're going to have traps that are more mechanical in nature mm. that rogues would be obviously the ones adept at dismantling that. You're going to have traps that are arcane in nature that a rogue may not know exactly what to do. So you might need a certain you know, arcane-oriented class to be able to unravel that magic. Hmm. Um, you're also going to have some traps that are uh, you know, concealed in ways that a ranger, for example, might be able to perceive hmm. um, in an outdoor setting, let's say, more so than maybe a rogue typically would. Um, 
So yes, there are going to be traps. Yes, there are going to be different ways to dismantle those traps in different situations where different classes will be more adept at doing that. Um, and yeah, I love the idea. Uh, again, not going too deep into to the rogue, but the rogue I absolutely see as this wonderful mixture of assassin and trickster where they're, they're deadly from the shadows and they're also very uh, almost playful in all the different ways they have to mess with you. And either through you know things they can throw, like we've said before with like the vials and the kind of impromptu mixture of things mm. um, to traps, both disarming and setting and creating. Um, I'm really excited to see some of that take shape. Awesome, awesome. So I guess really the only class we haven't covered yet is the ranger. It's always a fan favorite, although sometimes they are the butt of some jokes. But um, <laughs> so what can you tell us about the ranger? Because you know, unfortunately, they they're the butt of jokes because it's another classical hybrid that has kind of an identity crisis, as I would call it. You know, so how does the ranger fit into the world of Terminus? Mm, yeah, that's. I was actually talking to a guy at the meet and greet last night who uh, played a ranger. I, I think I remember him saying he played a ranger literally as his only class throughout all of his time, his many years playing EverQuest and. Wow. I had to give him kudos because yeah, it's it's one of those classes that people really resonate with, and it just never felt like it was fully realized. Yeah, at least for a pretty long time. Um, so with the ranger, um, again, more details to come. But uh, the ranger is a DPS class, and it will hold its own very well in that regard. Um, the uh, the ranger will use a mixture of um, uh, ranged and melee oriented combat and playstyle. Um, I think of rangers as more of like a, the plan for them is, is more of like a war archer where you're not going to see rangers you know, for the duration of fights standing back and just shooting arrows the whole time. Their okay. goal is going to be to get in close and do their devastating damage through melee combat. But the bow is going to be vital for them to both disengage from combat and then re-engage in combat. Mm, um, and then they're going to have lots of situational opportunities to use the bow. It's not that rangers wouldn't be able to disengage and um, let loose with their you know, ranged combat and, and maintain their level of DPS, but it's more of a, a shorter duration, bursty kind of thing, more tactical, um, designed to get them back into the fight more quickly, where they you know, are going to pull out their weapons and get back to business. Um, there's also the the animal affinity side of the ranger, which mm. I'll save that for later. But that's also going to be part of how they um, are able to to do their damage and kind of control things and maneuver the way they need to. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, I guess actually before we wrap up, I should I would probably get in trouble if I didn't ask about the necro because you gave us a good little teaser about the bard that bards are looking pretty good right now, but um, what about the necro? Where is it, where does the necro stand right now? Yeah. So we, we definitely hear everyone, and we know that it's, it's not only the Bard, but also the Necro. That's a very highly anticipated class. So um, we are wanting, as well, to get that in. Um, but it's going to depend on uh, how quickly we finish the current classes and the Bard, and Necro just happened to be the next one in line. Mm -hmm. So if we can get it in, we will. Um, 
if we can't by launch, then we'll be getting it in as soon after as we can. All right. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, I think we touched on them all. <laughs> so I really appreciate you yeah, sitting man. down and telling us a little bit about them. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you learned something from it. And if you did, make sure you're subscribed now because I'll be releasing one of these each and every week until I've gone through my entire archive. And then even after that, I'll continue releasing all of my new videos right here in audio form as well. So while you're here, remember that you can rate and review this episode and share it with some of your friends that you think might be interested in Pantheon so that we can spread the word about the game to even more people and grow the community. So until next week, stay curious and adventure on.